Hello, my name is Paul Ryan and I am founder of gpconsult.co.uk. I work as both a pharmacist and as a GP and I am passionate about clinical pharmacology and therapeutics. I enjoy making international guidelines relevant to those of us in primary care. So in today's podcast, I'm going to talk about a number of different topics that um, are often asked about regarding NOAX. So the first one is unwanted bleeding with NOAX. The second one is stopping NOAX before interventional procedures. Number three, the interactions with NOAX. Number four, the European Society of Cardiology Guideline uh, 2020 on atrial fibrillation and antiplatelets. And number five, the NOACs after elective uh, PCI, percutaneous coronary intervention, or ACS, acute coronary syndrome. So, first of all, unwanted bleeding with NOACs. So, with minor bleeding such as epistaxis, the advice is to hold NOAC for one dose or else to hold NOAC for the day. When we looked at the more serious uh, bleeding, uh, in comparison when NOACs were compared to warfarin. In 2014, there was a, um, a study published by the British Journal of General Practice, um, as well as guidance from the European Primary Care uh, H Fibrillation uh, Guidelines in 2015. And they showed that there was a higher risk of GI bleeds with the NOACs, but there was a lower risk of intracranial bleeds. So... And just this brings me on to the next topic is stopping NOACs before interventional procedures. So this goes back to the CHADS-VASC score. So obviously with the CHADS-VASC score we discussed earlier, the higher the score, the higher the risk of stroke. Although the risk is, is, is small, so we say a CHADS-VASC score of 2 is, um, uh, 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 that, that's a 2% risk of, of uh, getting a stroke which means in theory that there's 98 out of 100 people who won't get a stroke but the reality is, is that if you were unfortunate uh, to be one of these two people these strokes are devastating and um, they and this must always be you know taken into consideration so you're all like anything you look at the balance between the bleeding and the thrombotic risk most dental procedures, uh, such as you know dental extraction or skin excisions, etc., uh, the anticoagulation does not need to be stopped. So in these procedures, you have to be guided by the surgeon or the anaesthetist or the dentist. Uh, and there's the anticoagulation guidance from the UK, the sdcep.org.uk is very useful. I suppose it goes back to the old saying, better a dental bleed than an embolic stroke. So now just to talk about the interactions with NOACs next. So the first and foremost to remember that they interact with other anticoagulants and that's why it's important to know uh, the other four NOACs on the market because these are relatively newer agents. Um, when you have got relatively newer agents on the market, uh, there's less familiarity with them so you must make sure to know that the rivaroxaban, adoxaban, apixaban and dabigatran uh, I purposefully only ever try to remember generics rather than brand names so caution as they're cautioned as there's an increased risk of bleeding so bleed, bleeding risk with antiplatelets 
SSRIs, SNRIs, NSAIDs. So we know what the SSRIs, they stop platelets from sucking up serotonin to cause platelet aggregation because they selectively uh, inhibit serotonin being taken up into neurons but also into platelets as does as does uh, SNRI. And we know that NSAIDs also affect platelet function. Um, so the if the person is on an OAC and an antiplatelet or any of these agents, this is uh, causes an increased risk of bleeding. And there is a significantly increased bleeding risk with dual antiplatelets uh, and NOACs. And that's why we're, we're, I'll talk about the latest guidance now, but they're only recommending one antiplatelet. So just remember that NOACs are substrates for P-glycoprotein. And what does that mean? That means that P-glycoprotein can kick them out of cells. For uh, That's the easy way to, that I describe it, that they can pick it up and just throw it out of a cell. So it's the, these NOACs are re-secreted by P-glycoprotein in the GI tract and also in the kidneys. So they actually picks it up from the blood within the uh, kidney and excretes it, or is, uh, picks it up from the blood uh, within your system and puts it into your GI tract. So there's certain... Um, uh, into your GI tract and then you uh, it, it goes it goes out in your stool so it's cautioned in P-glycoprotein inhibitors so if you have a patient if you start a patient on a P-glycoprotein inhibitor and they're on a NOAC these are cautioned because it will it, it will um, uh, affect the levels so P-glycoprotein inhibitors such as amiodarone claritromycin and ticagrelor um and the peak glycoprotein inducers, so carbamazepine, rifampicin, St. John's wort, these will increase the excretion of the of the NOACs. But if you just look at the fine detail, it says caution. It doesn't say contraindication. So you just tell the patient that if they're being put on amiodarone or claritromycin or ticagrelor, they may have an increased risk of bleeding, so to watch out for that. Or uh, with with peak protein inducers, they may not work as well. So, but it's not contraindicated. So, I suppose I always kind of question: Is there a reason? For example, claritromycin. If the person has a penicillin allergy, and they're into with a lower respiratory tract infection. Um, and a true penicillin allergy, okay, you can put them on amoxicillin as per the antibiotic prescribing guidelines, but put them on doxycycline. Doxycycline is a very good agent and it doesn't cause the same issue. Just make sure to tell them to put on some sunscreen. And um, and then we say if they have a UTI, rather than putting them on cephalexin, uh, you can put them on nitrofurantrone or trimethoprim or in a younger lady, uh, phosphomycin. So I always just look at the alternatives rather than um, stop, obviously not to stop the NOAC. So NOACs are metabolized by CYP453A4 enzyme. So they're actually contraindicated with itraconazole. Now, itraconazole is Spornox antifungal therapy used in pulse therapy. So we see in primary care that we may be asked to transcribe it from our dermatology colleagues. Um, the other one to be aware of a HIV protease inhibitor is ritonavir, which is not as um, common in primary care. Uh, it's not as commonly prescribed. So itraconazole is a very interesting drug. It inhibits both CYP453A4 and it also inhibits P-glycoprotein. So it actually increases a pig span exposure by twofold. So they should not be used together. So itraconazole and a pig span should not be used together. So so an alternative to itraconazole are topical antifungal agents such as Canispro. 
So next, I'm going to talk about the European Society Guideline 2020 on atrial fibrillation and antiplatelets. So after PCI, so percutaneous coronary intervention for um, acute coronary syndrome, um, so acute coronary syndrome we know is either one of three things mainly, unstable angina, STEMI, uh, or non-STEMI. So after PCI for acute coronary syndrome, uh, it's dual therapy with NOAC and clopidogrel for the first 12 months, and then NOAC monotherapy continued thereafter. Now it is interesting that clopidogrel rather than aspirin was picked this time. Uh, the clopidogrel we know is a P2Y12 receptor blocker, and it showed that um, there was a, it was just in the studies that there was compared to we say prasugrel or ticagrelor, there was a greater bleeding risk with prasugrel or ticagrelor versus clopidogrel. But it is interesting to me to see that clopidogrel is the one that this year that uh, the ESE guideline has recommended. So. The next one is that if the patient had uh, PCI uh, in patients with chronic coronary syndrome, now this is a new term as well, so uh, after patients after PCI in patients with chronic coronary syndrome, it's a dual therapy with NOAC and clopidogrel for the first six months, and then NOAC monotherapy continued thereafter. And the reason why this term chronic coronary syndrome is interesting to me is that it is this is now the new term for stable ischemic heart disease. So we say for patients with angina and that. Okay, for, so final point about the ESC guidance 2020 is that it's individualized. Then if a person has a low thrombotic risk or a high bleeding risk, you know, a low thrombotic risk or a high bleeding risk, it's shortened. Whereas that it's actually lengthened if the patient has a high atherothrombotic risk. So I suppose just the practicalities is that it's NOAC monotherapy for uh, and clopidogrel for a year and then NOAC monotherapy after one year, unless they're at very high risk. Um, so maybe just to put it in the patient's file to come off, we say, clopidogrel, August 2020 or August 2021, um, just to have that on, on the patient's file and in the pharmacy then as well. So that brings me to the end of today's podcast. I hope you found it useful and I'm looking forward to delivering my next podcast.